Well, the word today is call, the call, the call to follow Christ. And um, our scripture today is going to be taken from Mark's gospel. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to the uh, New Testament book of uh, the gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 1. And I'm going to be reading, I'm going to be reading verses uh, 16 to 28. We'll cover uh, the rest of Mark chapter 1, but I want to begin by reading these verses, and it's a passage of Scripture that talks about the calling of the first disciples. 707 in your church Bibles, Mark chapter 1, verse 16 begins, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said. And I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat, and the hired men, and followed him. They went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Well, just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. And news about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. This is God's word. The call, the call to follow Christ. What has happened to Derek and Lydia? can happen to you. And for some, that will mean packing up uh, next February, as you told me, and leaving full time for the Dominican. And for some, it will mean uh, going across town. For some, it will mean going across the country. Uh, For some, it will mean going into full-time vocational ministry where your um, support is from God's generosity through his people. And for others, it will mean uh, a vocation in the marketplace. And God uses you there. And and he may even use you in a, a local church ministry. A ministry to marriages, um, a ministry to um, the under-resourced. You, God may call you to start a ministry to orphans. I'm thinking of the orphans' treasure box uh, that uh, Beth Windling has told me in our church about God's call upon her to make a difference in the lives of children without parents. I'm I'm thinking of our Celebrate Recovery ministry, where People are 
daily leaning on the grace of Christ for their hurts and habits and hang-ups. Eric, I'm thinking of your ministry that you lead, making young men into godly men. And we're gonna get to see a baptism here today. And God's called you into that. Calling, it's, it's diverse. It looks different depending on who you are and how God has wired you. And, and yet, as diverse as that calling may look, there are some common lessons that I want us to see from this passage of Scripture which answer the question, what does the call to follow Christ look like? And there are, there are three features, three characteristics in these verses. Now, Mark's gospel answers two questions. Who is Jesus? And you already know because you, the reader, have read verses 1 through 13. It's as if the director comes on stage before the curtain parts and tells you the end of the, of the play. And you already know who Jesus is. The Son of God. The promised Messiah of old. The one who is able to do what Israel could never do. And you know this. And so then when Jesus hits the ground running in verses 14 and 15, you're following over the shoulders of the disciples. They're trying to figure out what you already know. And that's why you're frustrated because you have privileged information. And we're going to begin to see this more and more, especially in these verses as, as we find out who Jesus is. But then the next question is, well, then what does it look like to follow him? What does it look like to respond to the call to follow Christ? And here are three characteristics that I want us to see. They're in your outline. And the first is this. The call to follow Christ is a personal relationship of total surrender. A personal relationship of total surrender. We see that in the phrase in Mark's gospel um, when Jesus says, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. This personal relationship of total surrender is captured in that phrase, and it's also summarized in these three words, personal, missional, and sacrificial. Let's go there for a moment. So Jesus uh, has launched his ministry, and he's not in Jerusalem now. He's in the Sea of Galilee. That uh, Sea of Galilee, uh, it's really a lake. And it's about uh, uh, oh, 13 miles north to south, uh, 8 miles at its widest point east to west. It's uh, shaped like a harp. Uh, and in the northern region of Galilee, in that lake area, it had a thriving, thriving uh, fishing industry. And it was quite a populated area, peppered with little towns. And we're going to see one of those towns in a moment. And uh, it's where Jesus began to call his disciples. He calls four in Mark's gospel here, these first four disciples, uh, Simon and Andrew, that's Simon Peter, Simon and Andrew, and then James and John. So they came from the fishing business. Now, understand, Jesus' disciples, these disciples were not peasants. So they, they belonged to what you could call an artisan class. Skilled, um, a journeyman in their craft. They helped lead a, a, a thriving family fishing businesses. 
And so they had to deal, uh, they had to deal with uh, capital equipment, boats, nets, uh, hired hands. And so uh, they, had, they had quite a business. It was at least a second generation business. And um, uh, um, uh, they had a rather stable life, a predictable life. And then Jesus shows up and rocks their boat. He calls them to him. Calls them, come follow me. It was a personal call. Follow me. A rabbi would never do that back then. First century rabbis, they would never go to the students. The students always went to the rabbi. That's how it worked. That's what happened. And then when the student would go to the rabbi to to ask, then the rabbi would then assess the student and see if the student was qualified or see if the student needed to take any qualifying exams. Uh, 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 You know, what's your ACT or what's your GRE? or Let me see your test scores. Let me see if you're qualified for me to teach you. You know, that's that's not what we see here. Jesus goes to them. Furthermore, he enters their world the world, of, the world of fishing, the world of, of business, the world of dirty nets and, 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 and smelly baits and rotting fish and, and uh, the, kind of, uh, the kind of language and stories we'd expect a commercial fisherman in the first century to tell. So, I mean, it was, this, it was none of this. They didn't go to seminary. He went to the fishing business to pull these Man, here, follow me, he said. Follow A rabbi would never have said that in the first century. A rabbi would say something like, uh, well, let us follow the Torah. Let's follow the Torah. But Jesus personalized it. You know, the rabbi in the first century would have said, well, let's, you know, let us, you know, Psalm 1, blessed is the man who, whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on that law he meditates day and night, it shall be like a tree planted by streams of water. Follow the Torah. Jesus didn't say, Follow the door. He said, follow me. Follow me. And that tells you something about what Christianity is, church family. You know, we've got our bulletin here. And uh, you can take a look at it and uh, open it up. And you can see these ministry activities here. Uh, it would pain me if anybody left here having read this thinking, oh, Well, to be a Christian means to be involved in these church activities. That's not Christianity. Well, why do you have these activities? Well, I'm getting to that. All right, it's the word missional. Missional. These are missional activities. But what you need to understand is that foremost, our faith is about a relationship with a person who wants you to follow him. Being a Christian is is simply someone who follows Christ. Jesus goes to these four and says, get behind me, let's go. It's personal. Now for missional. It is missional. And that's behind the phrase, I will make you fishers of men. I Literally, I will make you become fishers of men. Now let's unpack that phrase because... Um, I learned something about that phrase that helped me. I don't know. Probably since I was in middle school, I thought. You know, what does it look like to be a fishers of men? And I have 
for the longest time, kind of read that phrase through the lens of Bass Pro Shop fishing. You ever been to Bass Pro Shop? Whoa, now I got your attention. It's just like paradise, isn't it? Wow, phenomenal. Phenomenal, all of those rods and all of those reels and and you've got, and then there's the bait and then there's the boats. My goodness, my goodness, my goodness. It's paradise. And so looking through the lens, the Bass Pro Shop lens, I see that phrase, I'll make you fishers of men. And and see, by default, it's it's like this. Oh, well, uh, 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 Jesus is saying to take this deadly hook and mask it with a juicy worm and then, you know, throw that out into the water and then, you know, you're going to catch the fish. Only it's not going to be so good for the fish. So we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna try to masquerade what we really are so that people will come here then hope that they stay once we find out what we really are because they love the coffee. Is that what, we, is that what Jesus is saying? The Bass Pro Shop lens? No, that's not what Jesus is saying, okay? That's not, well, why, what's this phrase, fishers of men? Well, you've got to take off your Bass Pro Shop lens and you've got to start thinking like a Hebrew. And when you start thinking like a Hebrew, that's when you'll understand that to the Hebrew mind, The idea of the ocean or the deep or the lake was dark, ominous, frightening, scary, lonely, isolated, perilous. To be lost at sea to them, it's like us, lost in space. It's frightening. And now Jesus has this missional, this missional task for us to participate in a rescue operation. He's really talking about lifeguarding here. You go to a beach. You see the beach the way you see the beach because you're there to play and you're a tourist. But I guarantee you the lifeguard sees it completely differently. And Jesus says, I want you to put on, this is a rescue operation. We're here to fish those who are perishing out of the darkness, the the. the, the the domain of darkness and bring them into the kingdom of the light. That's what's going And so from now on, you see people differently. Doesn't matter where they work, what they do, what their degree is, how much money they have, what their credentials are. It, that doesn't matter. What matters is, you know, do they have a personal relationship of total surrender to Christ? And if not, then they're, There's some perishing that's going on here. And so we're looking at life. We're looking where God is called. We're looking at these people differently as people who matter to to God, who wants them with him. And that's why the Apostle Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 5.16, so from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, so we do so no longer. Following Christ is something personal. It's missional. And then you understand then, do the nature of the mission of rescuing, how, how it's sacrificial. And they left. They just, they left. They left. They left their nets. They left, why my goodness, James and John, they left dad in the boat. 
They left the boat. They left the hired hands. How did Zebedee feel about that? We're not told. But they left anyway to respond to the call of Christ. Can you imagine just being there and watching this happen. Now, if you go to Mark's, uh, excuse me, if you go to John's gospel, you'll see that there was um, more of a relationship that Jesus had with these than what Mark is telling us. Mark's telling us this for his purposes. And his purposes are, God has showed up, now you've got to make a decision. That's what's going on here. And they make the decision to leave, to leave and sacrifice everything. They tell him that later. We've sacrificed everything for you. And and Jesus expects no less of us if we're going to follow him. Okay? He's not into part-time disciples. He wants full-time surrendered sacrificial disciples. And, And so that means that all of us are called to follow Christ sacrificially And that means that will look different for each of us. It will. For some of us, that means in February, the guards leave full-time for the Dominican. All right? For some of you, that means you're going to leave town, go across the country. For others of you, that means that you're going to go to work tomorrow because you've got a different perspective because you're following the call of Christ. Jesus said, come follow me, and and he took some with him, but you know what? He didn't take everybody with him. He didn't. I'm thinking of Mark chapter 5, uh, verses 18 uh, through 20. Just take a look there. It's on page 710. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who'd been demon-possessed begged to go with him, and isn't this interesting? especially in view of Mark 1. It says in verse 19, Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And so the man went away, went to his home, and all the people were amazed. You see, I'm not saying this to let you off the hook. I'm saying this to say that to to be called to follow Christ will mean that some of you will leave the country and some of you We'll need to walk across the room tomorrow and say something for Jesus to the people in your life. Whatever you do, it is to be personal, missional, and sacrificial. Get it? When I say get it, you say got it. I'll say good. Get it? Good. Let's move on. The call to follow Christ It's a personal relationship of total surrender. And then we find the call is about reaching out. Reaching out to the oppressed, reaching out to the helpless, reaching out to the marginalized. And I want you to see here, uh, as Jesus goes into Capernaum and enters a synagogue and then leaves the synagogue, when he's in the synagogue, he reaches out with the truth of his word. And then as he leaves the gathering of the synagogue, he reaches out with his healing touch. So he takes these four. They go to Capernaum. It's on the Sabbath. He goes into this synagogue. You can actually see uh, the ancient town of Capernaum if you go to Israel today. And it's along that northern uh, coastal region of the Sea of Galilee. And uh, uh, and the next slide will show you um, 
a, a site uh, where a, the synagogue was. Now, this is a fourth century synagogue. The white stones are imported stones. But do you see at the bottom, the lower left-hand corner of the screen, you'll see uh, now this slide, you'll see the darker stones there. So the white stones were dated to the fourth century, but they were built upon these darker indigenous stones which are dated to the first century. So we're, we're pretty sure that those that, that darker foundational stone was the foundation of the synagogue where Jesus himself walked there in the town of Capernaum. He must have had some sense of recognition and reputation because when he gets into the synagogue on the Sabbath, he's invited to teach. And when he teaches, I mean, people are just, oh, they're amazed. They're amazed. Why? The Bible says because he taught them as one who had authority, as one who had exousia, exousia, which means out of the original stuff, out of the original stuff. So you had the, you had the, you had the original teaching there. And listen, it's one thing for an Oki to get up and preach on Mark 1. It's a whole nother level to have Mark get up and teach on Mark 1. And then it's even a whole nother level to have Peter, you know, because Mark wrote Peter's recollections. That's the gospel of Mark we learn. That, that's even, wow. Well, let's even go deeper. Jesus himself teaching on Mark 1. No wonder they were amazed, amazed as one who had the original teaching. And wouldn't you know it, while he was teaching, there in the synagogue, given his message, he gets interrupted. He gets interrupted by a, by a demon-possessed cell phone. I mean, a demon-possessed man. That's what happened. Right there, he's teaching, and then this demon-possessed guy stands up. What do you want with us? Jesus, I don't know if he talked like that or not. Who knows? I mean, he could have sounded like the cookie monster. I don't know what he sounded like. Who knows? Doesn't matter what he sounded like. What matters is what Jesus said. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Literally, be muzzled. Be muzzled. Uh, it's, uh, well, it would be our way of saying, shut up. Yeah, you can say shut up in church to a demon-possessed man. Okay? He, he says two things, doesn't he? Shut up and get out. Huh? Now, what, what I need you to see is no magic spells, no fancy incantation, no ritualistic dancing, huh? no, just a stern shut up and get out. And, and he did, but not quietly, right? Came out of him with a shriek, a loud noise. Now they were really amazed. Wow, he can preach and he can cast out demons. My goodness. But I want you to see that, see, Mark, this is the very first miracle in Mark's gospel, and it's there intentionally. It's an intentional miracle that takes place on the Sabbath, 
It's a theme that will recur later on. And it's an intentional miracle that takes place in a synagogue. And it's an intentional miracle that takes place with with the, the casting out of this evil spirit. So in other words, it's the preaching and teaching of gospel truth. God's truth from the original that, that, that evoked this confrontation which led to the evicting of this spirit. And this kind of truth needs to go out today. It does. See, what our vision is about being a life-changing community, passionately pursuing Christ. And if you unpack that a little more in our starting point class, it tells you a little bit more about Windsor Road. And, uh, we'll, tell you, we'll, we'll, we'll talk to you about being unshakably committed to his word. You see, Christ's unshakable truth causes demons to convulse. And why? Because Satan is the father of lies. That's why his, his first language, Jesus says, is deception. Lying, and Satan's the father of lies. Jesus, he, he doesn't just speak the truth. He is the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. And lies flee before truth just as darkness flees before light. And how we need the light of truth in our culture. Because, see, our culture, listen, our culture is shameless about her darkness. It is. I, I came across this fascinating quote this week. Um, I'll share with you the quote, and then you'll see who, who said it. What I've discovered is that in art, as in music, there's a lot of truth, and then there's a lie. The artist is essentially creating his world to make this lie a truth, but then he slides it in amongst all the others. The tiny little lie is the moment I live for, my moment. It's the moment the audience falls in love. Wow. It should surprise none of you that that comes from Lady Gaga. Sounds like something she'd say. And what's fascinating to me is that she knows what's going on. She knows what she's doing there, you see. And that's why the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 3 through 5, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. What kind of strongholds? The kinds of strongholds that you're, you just heard there. Paul says we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. See, that's why it's important to reach out with the truth because of the culture that we live in. And by the way, that's why it's important that we have artists and musicians who love the truth of Christ. We need that because Lady Gaga needs an answer. She needs an answer. And I know that there are artists and musicians in this place, in this room, who love God, who love people, who love the word of truth, and can use the gifts and abilities that God has given him or her to answer that call so that the truth can go out and rescue Rescue the perishing, be fishers of men. You see, that's what's going on here. This reaching out with the truth. 
that takes place in the gathering. And then, after the service, after they dismiss, there's this reaching out that takes place with the healing touch. And in verses 29 through 34, we read of this healing touch. Even Simon's mother-in-law received the touch. She was sick with a fever, and Jesus just took her hand and helped her up. And out of gratitude, she just served. And well, word got out then, right? The whole town gathered at the door. And there began to be a, the front door started to be clogging with people and faces and names. And, and then we see of a special touch that takes place at the end of Mark's gospel. Uh, Mark chapter 1. Verse 40 describes a man with leprosy. Literally, it's just the word leper. That's just, that was the label who came to him, begged him on his knees. You understand, leprosy was just this untouchable. It wasn't just a disease, it was a sentence. And uh, those who had uh, leprosy, uh, which could have been a whole host of skin diseases, but those who were infected, they, they, they had to stay off far distance away from people. They had to announce themselves by saying, unclean, unclean, unclean. And they, they, lost, their, their, they lost their health. They lost their uh, occupation. They lost community. They lost their family. Oh, they could come into the synagogue, but they would have to, they'd have to sit on, the, say, the other side of that screen there, quarantined from everyone. They had no community, nothing whatsoever. And uh, there were only two individuals cured of leprosy in the Old Testament. And so the rabbis concluded that the healing of a leper was on par with the raising of a dead, of the dead. In fact, they called people with leprosy the living dead. That's how, that's how uh, socially ostracized they were. So he came to Jesus. And he didn't ask if Jesus... Um, was able, he asked if Jesus was willing. Do you see that? If you're willing and filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. Now, he didn't have to touch him, did he? All he could have said was, be clean, right? At his word. But there was a reason why he touched him. He wanted to convey abs- with absolute clarity that, there, that there's no one untouchable from the touch of Christ. You know, I think about, um, I think about how God has been so good to Windsor Road Christian Church, especially in this last series, I've Got a Friend Who. And we heard faith stories right here on this platform from individuals who, oh, they didn't have leprosy like this person had, but they had experiences which some might feel that they're untouchable and the grace and the truth of Christ just demolished that stronghold. Stronghold. Remember, remember when we had a sister in Christ, Mary came up and she talked about the tragedy of her abortion and how God used that tragedy and by his grace transformed her into someone who is now helping those who have walked that path. Wow. And then and then what about a few weeks ago when uh, Brian Tao came and just shared how God has just touched him and, and, and given him strength in the struggle with the temptation of homosexualism. And I was just thinking, oh, God, thank you for letting me be a part of a church family.
where the truth of God's word can go out, okay, and the grace of Christ can proclaim the untouchables within reach of Christ and his people. I want to be a part of that church. And that's what, that's what it means to follow Christ. Reaching out with the truth and reaching out with the healing touch. And, and so is it any wonder then that out of the amazement, verse 28 says news about him spread quickly. And, and then is it any wonder then that, that verse 33 says the whole town gathered at the door. You know, that, that house was clogged with people wanting to be helped because, because when grace and truth show up, lives are changed and then more people come and more lives can be changed. And uh, I mean, there's, there's some huge air traffic control issues trying to handle the crowds and trying to handle what, and what's Jesus going to do? What does he do in the midst of all of that? Verse 35. And verse 35 tells us this third characteristic of the call to follow Christ. Verse 35 says, very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. You see, the call to follow Christ is about total surrender. The, the call to follow Christ is about reaching out, reaching out with truth, reaching out with a healing touch. And listen, the call to follow Christ is about an ordered private world through prayer so that we can have the wisdom and strength to serve those who come. You see what's going on here? So many people came. What did Jesus do? He went and prayed. He needed time with his heavenly father. And, and notice it says that he went to a solitary place, verse 35. Actually, that is the same word as in verse 12, desert. So he goes to this wilderness-type place. This place that was also a, a place of testing and temptation is still a place of prayer. And right here, is where so many people in my line of work and in Derek and Lydia's line of work, I mean, we find ourselves hurting because there are so many needs, so many people that need to be healed. And, you know, we struggle. And some of you are struggling in your ministry. Compassion fatigue. Ministry fatigue. And what you need to understand with this verse, is that our gracious Heavenly Father is not out to use you and then burn you out and then make you feel guilty because you can't cut it. No. He wants time with you. Not as another church activity. He wants time with you because He enjoys you. Our Heavenly Father enjoys you. He loves you. He's more interested in who you are than what you can do for him. I'll say that again because some of you need to hear that. He's more interested in who you are than what you can do for him. And why was it early in the morning? Was it because he was a type A person? No. No, it's, you know, once the day starts, it gets crazy and chaotic. That's why. So he got up before the chaos and he ordered himself. I, and I was really, uh, I guess, convicted by uh, the following quote from this pastor who wrote, where does it come from 
this endless need to be preoccupied? Why do we feel the need to be productive every minute? We push and push and push until we collapse. What is so wrong with our lives that we can't be still and just be? And here's the answer. Because we cannot bear the unblinking eye of God not knowing it is the adoring gaze of a lover instead of the suspicious glare of a taskmaster. We find God's grace and embarrassment because to receive it, we have to admit our need of it. And in our anxiety to prove our worth, we obsess over our productivity, seeking to earn the respect of everyone around us, including God. So we now live in a world where taking, where taking a Sabbath is a sin. <laughs> and we think our busyness more essential than God's. After all, God rested on the Sabbath, but we don't. And then here's the prayer. God, help us. Help us understand how small and non-essential we are so that we can rest, truly rest. Rest without guilt. Rest without anxiety. Rest enjoying the gaze of God's beauty and our blessedness as you, God, gaze upon us with the adoration of a parent with a new baby. Listen to me, a hundred yards of talent is not enough for 440 yards of race. Just not enough. You need time with God because he enjoys you. And, and, and that's what it means to follow the call of Christ. And already here we're seeing a difference between the disciples and Jesus, right? Because they're tracking him down. Where you been? Everybody's looking for you. Come on, we gotta get the program going. We gotta leverage momentum. Yesterday was incredible. They didn't do anything. He did everything, but yes, everything. Let's do it again, do it again. Come on, we're ripe for stratospheric growth in this place. Jesus says, we're moving on. What? We're moving on. There are other towns that need to hear the gospel. Just because people are in awe of me doesn't mean they trust me. Never, listen, never confuse amazement with active trust. We're moving on. Follow me. And so they do. And yet they're learning, aren't they? They're learning what total surrender looks like. They're learning what reaching out looks like. They're learning what intimacy with their heavenly father looks like. They're learning all right. And so they leave. And they go. And Mark concludes this chapter with a very fascinating verse. You see, Jesus said to the leper after he healed the leper, look, I don't want you saying a word about this. Just don't say a word about this. Promise? Okay. I mean it. I don't want, I don't want, I don't want my mission to be confused. I'm not out here trying to mass a military army so that I can take on Caesar. That's not what it's about. And I'm not a carnival miracle worker, all right? So don't say anything. Do you promise? I promise. Then he goes out and talks. And as a result, verse 45, 43, 45. Does it say 45? Let me get my glasses on. 45. As a result, 
Jesus could no longer enter a town openly but stayed outside in lonely places. Isn't that interesting? Beforehand, the leper had been outside in the lonely places because of his condition and Jesus had been in town, right? But here, at the end of this chapter, Jesus trades places with a leper. The leper, now healed, can stay inside and Jesus has to be outside in the desolate places. That's the same word as desert and wilderness. That word shows up again in the lonely places. And as we traverse through Mark's gospel, we'll see that he continued to go further and further to the lonely places until at the end of this chapter and at the end of this book, we will see Jesus at the ultimate lonely place, the place of the cross, where he once again trades places with lepers. That's us. And it's because he did that And on that cross, at that ultimate lonely place, he would cry out to his heavenly Father and heaven would be silent. But he did it for you and me. And because he did it for you and me, in repentance and active trust, we who were outside now belong to this community. Is there any reason why you wouldn't want to follow Jesus?